It's time for a change. Strap your headphones on and join Chris, Scott, and Sean. Three active duty police officers in the Chicago suburbs. As they face the tough subjects, including police brutality, racial tension, rioting, and more. Weekly, you'll get tips and tricks on how to keep you and your family safe, what to do during traffic stops, how to handle domestic violence, and more. This This is a show about about opening a dialogue, accepting that something has to be done, and bringing communities together again. And now your hosts, Chris, Scott, and Sean. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Three Cops Talk. As usual, this is your host, Sean. I'm here today with uh, Uncle Chris, who is joining us via the road. This is a first for him. Um, He is out on the road recording the show. So it's real. It's like live PD, except a whole lot more pathetic technologically wise. You know, it's like really rough. Yeah. And nothing has gone right. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, on the vein of nothing going right, Scott's not with us or Big Sarge is he's down. Uh, He was. he gets in yeah. on a lot of these crazy medical schemes where he thinks he can make money and he was donating a lot of plasma. We, we warned him that you can't give right. too much plasma. You got to drink a lot of orange juice. He's got acid reflux, things like that. Um, but uh, we're going to start a GoFundMe <laughs> page with all of the uh, listeners. Um, we should right, probably right. raise like what? If What's it, with it, him in holidays? Last year was his hemoglobin and his sugar. Right, right. It's the stress. It's yeah. the holidays. Obviously, officer wellness is an important thing we need to talk about. And that's why today we have a great guest coming back to us from Ohio, which we've talked about in the past with uh, Director Shandy, Sarah Shandy, doing uh, great things in the state of Ohio, two states over from Illinois, where we cut our teeth, Uh, a really cold Midwestern state that uh, has a lot of diversity to it, like Illinois, the northern half and the southern half. You could say some of the same things about Ohio. And Ohio, uh, their governor and what they're doing for first responders there, I, I personally believe, particularly in the Midwest, it's Rust Belt. There's there's no other state doing what they're doing to take care of first responders right. and cops and things along those lines. And uh, when I was following Sarah uh, post the show, Sarah stayed in touch with me about a lot of things on her feed. I found uh, a new factor, a new person, a new player to bring to the table and help uh, sell their message of what they're doing uh, our listeners from around the globe and particularly around the United States can uh, kind of learn some things from that. But wellness at this time of year is tough. I mean, it really is. I mean, everybody tells you this when you, as soon as you get on the job, you start realizing, oh, wow, it's different to be a cop at the holidays. You know what I mean by the holidays in the States are when you're talking from maybe November through the first of the year, that is the holiday season in the United States. And right. there's a lot of things that happen to people during those times, depression, seasonal there's all sorts of seasonal things that come up to trigger things for people. COVID now on top of that and the idea of isolation, the pressure of what's going on. The funny thing was, is Chris is riding around and telling us he was a little late for the call today, but he's never late. If you know, Chris, he's very punctual. Right. Um, right. He's a businessman through and through. <laughs> he was talking about all of the things he was just dealing with in the last maybe 15 minutes of us trying to get there with jumpers and people with weapons. And that's what every cop's dealing with in America on a regular basis now. And those things can start to weigh on you after a while. So, Chris, give me a little feedback about how you're doing with all this right now in your squad car and that dome light. You look good in the dome light, by the way. You look really well. Thank good. you. Thank you. I, I put the red on, but it's it's way too, it, it kind of yeah. gives me a weird mood, you know. Right. Right. Um, but no, I mean, it, it's just it's this is a weird. I mean, you know, we've been doing it for twenty some years, and it's just like you know, you expect stuff on the holidays, and you know seasonal depression and, you know, uh, more attempt suicide, more suicide, more mental health calls. But 
this year, it just seems like it, it's like nonstop. It's, it just, it, it has increased tremendously, exponentially, and it's all age groups. And I don't know, I would have no idea, except for the fact that you have people who are isolated, then you get, then there's a glimmer of hope that you can go see people and see your families. And now you can't and all this other, you know, and then on top of that, then you have people that, you know, uh, it's the holidays and they're alone, but it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, at, you can, you can honestly feel the difference between two years ago and the last two years. And it's just increasingly getting worse around the holidays. So, you know, it's just yeah. a lot, it's a lot, of, there's a lot more talking going on to let people know that stuff's going to be okay at some point. Yeah, right. And that's it's at a need at an all time high for us now. You know, the issues that we're facing and we're seeing we're dealing with. I mean, it's even to the point where the L.A. Times, uh, which is very pro vax and pro lockdowns and things like that related to covid uh, and and the pandemic. But they're even saying that they think we've now created a what will be a pandemic of mental health for young people. And I was reading that article over the weekend. I was thinking, wow, that, you know, for the collegiate level and for what, what, what police have to deal with. Is, is going to be a whole other issue. And all of these things have a tendency. Like when you stand in it, you can try to separate yourself from it, but all of those things stay with you for quite some time. And yet again, uh, we want to talk about places that are actually doing some things that can make us be optimistic. And our guest today is uh, Stephen Click, who's the director of the Ohio Office of First Responder Wellness. Uh, he is the director of that level. Um, and, and again, we've had another director on from the state of Ohio at that level for that same organization, which is the Ohio Department of Public Safety, Office of Criminal Justice. And that was Sarah Shendi. And that's how I got to know of Steve. Um, prior to this position, Steve uh, has served in the first re- responder liaison for Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Service. He also comes to us with some real credibility for cops and people that work as first responders and in the trenches that he did 36 years in the Ohio, Ohio State Patrol. Um, he was a trooper for 36 years. And if you know anything about the work, the troopers do uh, alone a lot uh, right. when they work. And they also, uh, you know, deal with people that are doing things like, hey, let me stop you for this traffic violation. Let me deal with this maybe drug interdiction. And then let me deal with this most horrific car crash. Um, and then let me go back to my car and be by myself while I'm processing all right. of this. And again, he's right. a great guy that kind of brings a lot of that stuff. He is huge in the peer support community, which you've talked about early on in the show. Um, and again, uh, he is kind of worked all over the nation. I, I seen his bio that he's also worked down in the great state of South Carolina yep. where I'm at right now. Whoop, he's going to talk whoop. about a lot of different places around the country where he's helped and places that are doing some good things and maybe some places that could be doing some more. So again, I can't thank you enough, Steve, for, uh, Thanks, with Steve. I appreciate all this you coming and taking the time around the holidays here to work with us. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. so much. I'm just going to lay on. I'm just going to lay on the couch here. You ready for it? It all started. <laughs> all started when my parents didn't love me enough. Right. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't get hugged enough and I didn't get my Red Rider BB gun. Right. Uh, right. I thought this was my free hour. What are we doing? Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, nothing's free. You know that more than anybody else. Uh, So so Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about one, your background, and then how you got involved with this type of work where you're now working at the director level for uh, a bellwether state like Ohio for the Buckeyes. Yeah. So, you know, actually it really started back in in 1992. Uh, I was a road trooper at the Delaware post just North of Columbus, Ohio. And I had the opportunity to go to a training for um, uh, critical incident stress management. Um, I was going with some firefighters and some medics. I was the only law enforcement officer in the training. 
Um, and I went through it and, and I really felt a, a, str a very strong connection to it. And uh, from that point on, I continued to be involved and then um, didn't really get a whole lot of opportunities to do a lot until 9-11 happened. And mm -hmm. when 9-11 happened, um, I was asked by uh, the team that I was working with, North Central Ohio Critical Incident Stress Management, if I would be able and willing to go to New York City to assist the peer support program for the New York City Police Department. So, of course, I asked the colonel of the highway patrol, fully expecting them to say there's no way in the world we're going to okay that. And not only did they approve it, uh, they approved me to, you know, take my service weapon, uh, take my shield. I mean, they, they really were supportive of me going up there. I went on their time uh, and I went up and I spent a week up there uh, the first week after the first week of December um, 2001, right after Thanksgiving. I was up there for a week working with those folks. I went back up for a week in April of 02, and then I came back and the Highway Patrol decided to put together a peer support team of its own, and I was able to help be on the ground level of that. I was involved with that team and, and actually served as the, as the field commander for that team until uh, 2018 when I retired from the patrol and um, turned that over to Lieutenant Molly Harris, who's doing a great job there at the patrol. In 2018, I was offered a position with Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services to become their first responder liaison. Uh, I wow. retired from the division. Uh, I was working in the Office of Personnel doing this type of work at that point. And for the last two and a half years, then I worked for uh, Mental Health and Addiction Services as their first responder liaison, connecting departments to mental health. It was a great educational opportunity. I learned so much from those folks uh, being in there about the mental health world. And, and making the connections between mental health and public safety. Just this past, all, or, I'm sorry, this just this past summer, I was then given the opportunity to come back to the Department of Public Safety to help um, with their wellness program. They had just stood up a wellness policy that they were promoting to agencies across the state. And they asked if I would be willing to come back. And I was very uh, you know, happy to accept that position. And uh, again, I get to work with, with Sarah Shendi uh, in the Office of Criminal Justice Services. Uh, I tell folks when they remind me that I'm retired, I remind them I don't work now. Uh, this isn't right. work. This, this isn't work at all. Um, and I loved what I did for the patrol. I was a field officer. I was a field sergeant. I was a motorcycle officer. Um, I worked at our capital operations. And then I worked at the training academy. And those were all great jobs. But the, it's nothing like the job that I have now, being able to work with police, fire, EMS, corrections across the state of Ohio. It's, it's a great job. It's great that you have that background and all of that yeah, no things because it's like sometimes people will get these jobs and you're like, you, you meet people that want to get in law enforcement for a lot of different reasons. And people sure. right now, there's a big push like, hey, I want to get in there from the mental health aspect and I want to go right to doing that. And I think one of the things that is unique about our world, whether it's right, wrong or otherwise, it's just part of our world and how it is, is that cops immediately start sizing you up on your credibility. Like they sure. immediately start looking at oh. you and saying, well, what have you done to tell me that? How do you know? And the things that Steve just listed off to me, if I was an officer that was coming to speak to him or he was coming to me and said, Hey man, I hear you're struggling and or whatever it is. His intro is his line to open with that. I would be like, well, there's really not much I'm going to tell this guy that he's not going to be able to relate to. And, 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 and a lot of this is relatable because of the fear of uh, the stigma of mental right. health. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, and, right. You know, we, well, I mean, how did, and, and, and it kind of just like, how does, how does, with that stigma, I mean, and again, I don't know how it works, but I know in our department, they were very proactive here and they started this program for peer support and stuff like that. And it, it, it it's a great concept, but it's like when you, you, you're in your head, you're like, well, I really don't want to talk to anybody 
in my own agency because I don't want it going up the chain or getting out or whatever. I mean, the good part of it is it's not a taboo anymore. You can have a conversation, you can talk, but it's still overcoming. Like if I have something I want to talk about, it's still overcoming in my department. So is that the way it works or or is it within your, the departments there or do they just call you and you're not, you're not within their department? Yeah, it, it, it's a really combination, Chris, of, of folks calling. And, and I get a lot of phone calls from chiefs, uh, chief deputies, um, again, working with fire service assistant chiefs, um, patrol captains, training officers and stuff like that. And they say, hey, you know, can you can you come over and talk to our agency? Can you connect us with with some resources? And one of the things that my job is, is very important to my job is training mental health on talking to law enforcement. So, for instance, you know, I've explained to mental health, look, we don't always use the most professional language. It doesn't mean we have anger issues. That's just sometimes the way we talk. Right. Um, that if you're if you're talking to a police officer and they come in uh, off duty, obviously, they're probably going to have a weapon. It doesn't mean that there's a, you know, you're perfectly safe. Just right. relax and just there's some things you need to know. But at the same time, I have to educate public safety. I have to educate our folks. To, you know, these people do have your best interests at heart. They absolutely will protect your confidentiality. I mean, they have a heart for it or they wouldn't do it. It's not like they're making any money. But mm-hmm. um, at the same time, you know, they've got legal obligations to protect your confidentiality. So, um, Chris, to your, your point, I think one of the biggest things that we've seen in improvement is it coming from the top. When we started having bosses come out and say, I struggled at the early part of my career and I got help. So when I got selected for this in 2016, I used Colonel Paul Pride, who, who was the superintendent of the patrol at that time. I used him shamelessly on our on our agency and other agencies. When people are like, well, I don't know about this. I said, no problem. I'll call the colonel and tell him you aren't interested. Oh, oh wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, you know, don't call the colonel. And he yeah, knew right. what he was using. You know, I had right. his permission to use him because he right. knew the importance of this. And, and what breaks my heart to this day, though, is the number of times I get a phone call from a chief who says, man, I wish you'd have had this when I was younger. And I'm like, chief, we've got it now. Come right. and see us. And they're like, no, no, take care of the kids. I'm fine. And I always reply, well, really, chief, how well do you sleep? How much do you drink? How much do you weigh? What marriage are you on? Yeah, chief, right. you're handling it great. And, and you know, I, I just they're really supportive of it for their people. I'm just hoping that we can continue to promote this and, and, and it be as embraced by the command staff for themselves as it is for their own folks. Yeah, and, and that speaks to the <clears throat> volumes of how hard it is to make changes. So when people talk about government and they talk about things that are going on, like this is like institutionalized. You are talking about guys that were trained at this point by guys that left Vietnam, right? Exactly. I mean, right. These guys left Vietnam and were like, hey, man, you want to know what it feels like to be in a losing battle? When you come home, no one respects you or loves you. You just got to right. suck it up, kid. You got to roll. And it's like, it was really like, we talked about this early on in our podcast about how that has shaped our world so much. And right. those guys well, would never, fun. ever deal yeah, but, with it. Uh, you know what I yeah, mean? Without you know what, though, feeling weak by it, the process. Yeah, but the same, but the difference between the Vietnam and World War One and World, look at me. You're going to be proud of me, Sean. I got some history coming at you. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Uh, Straight but, what my dad said when he's in Vietnam and world war one, world war two and stuff, they, the soldiers came by boat and they had time to talk amongst themselves and decompress. Absolutely. We're in Vietnam. You're there Monday. And then you're in the States on Tuesday with n- no help. Right. 
You know, right. on top of the fact you're losing battles and stuff like that, he goes, but the boat trips were probably one of the best decompression times where they were able to give their stories and tell each other. And they knew who was going, that they were all in it together and they were all there. They all kind of understood. And it was a better transfer, I guess, or whatever they call it from the military to society. But, and it's the same thing here where you're, 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 you see the worst of the worst in something. And, and when when somebody says that, you know, well, I, I can understand. No, you can't. You just you just can't. You know, well, and I and, guess and, that brings and, up a, brings up a good point. The fact of like, you know, for us, it's almost like Star Trek. We teleport to our real world within seconds. Yes. Like even when you right. left, you had it like from the military and you served, you had a you know, you went through out processing, counseling, decompression time. They even gave it to you even from the Gulf War when I was in it. Uh, and I'm not sure, you know, how it's working, but I'm sure it's similar, if not better than it, than it was when I left in the Gulf War, Gulf War in the 90s. But as a police officer, you step from that world and then you're looking at your sleeping baby when you come home. And Correct. these are things that I imagine, Steve, you can probably talk to story after story after story. But are we accurate in saying that there's no time to decompress oh there's 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 no time guys and and you know you you like you know chris is, is working tonight he has no idea what the shift's going to bring right. but then tomorrow you know he can be in the grocery store and listening to some person throw a fit because they didn't have a certain type of bread and right. you know given what you just saw or what you just dealt with on the road and, right. and now this person's, you know, throwing a fit because of a parking spot or something like that. You know, Chris, to your point, I think that's one of the reasons why the fire department has been kind of light years ahead of law enforcement in the area of taking care of their own. Because mm. they jump on the same truck, go back to the same building, right. sit down for dinner, give them a chance to talk about it before they go home. We get in our cars by ourselves. We scatter to the four winds and then we go home to our families who we don't share because we're trying to protect them. They want to know what's going on, but sometimes they don't really. I mean, it's right. just, just a rough, right. rough, you know, and again, there's no transition time. It's just right. you go from this to now all of a sudden you're at a soccer game. Right. right. And it, right. it's funny you say that because one of my, my first call out of the box tonight um, and we've, we've had a couple suicides that, that I've been on the last couple months. The first call out of the box tonight was some lady was angry because she put her lotto tickets in and they weren't, they didn't go to a box straight or something like that. And it was literally, the difference was $3 and it was just like, lady, it's $3. And but did you realize on the big scheme of things, this is three bucks. And let so we went through the whole thing and we, we got her squared away, but I'm like, she was making such a, a scene and such a thing, a, a, making an episode for three bucks. And I'm like, do you have any idea? Like, like the $3 that you, that is lost here, you give it that to that homeless guy. And guess what? He could probably sleep somewhere for the night, you know? So it, it's all about perspective of what you yeah. see and what you do. In a lot of ways too, that like we as cops or we, our society is the victims of our own success. These are the things that they have to worry about. They don't have to worry about uh, by and large. Americans don't have to worry about you know, go to the inner city and people won't be complaining about that because they have to put their baby in a bathtub so it doesn't get shot. Or, right, you right. know, those are the kind of things that like it's a matter of perspective. In a lot of ways, you know, our society, the, the vast majority of who we serve, we're like, why are you so upset? It's like, hey, we're the victims of our own success. You know, ain't you got anything better to do? I love that line because now I go. Oh, I do too. Thank God you don't. I don't have anything yeah. better to do because you don't have to worry no, see, about what some see, people you're in more this country gentle. are out there. Yeah, see, you're more you know? gentle. I'm like, 
No, I'm here taking care of you and your $3 lottery ticket right now. Right. No, right. I got right. nothing else going on. <laughs> yeah, My again, response no, always and, was, yeah, I did. But, you know, because of you doing what you did, now I can't go do it. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Right, yeah, great point right. there, uh, counter to that. Right. But, uh, Steve, tell me a little bit about how this came to be then in Ohio. Like, Sarah did a great job of explaining to us, like, where they saw the need, how that was brought to the forefront, where you sought out, did you seek them out? Was it, it seems very progressive for well, a state. And, and that, I just want to, I want to add on to that, Sean. And, and I, I, same question as Sean, but I want to add on one thing. Why does it seem Ohio become, is so progressive on all this? Um, I, I, I got to tell you, it's some of our leadership. It is, it is director of public safety, Tom Stickrath. It is my boss, Carlton Moore in the office of criminal justice services. And, and it's our governor, governor DeWine. I mean, he, um, he has a heart for first responders. Um, last summer, uh, we had several uh, public safety or first responder suicides in the state of Ohio. And the governor called a, a, a meeting and it was not a, like a public meeting or anything else. There was no press or anything, but he called together some individuals. I was fortunate to be asked to speak at that too because he wanted to know what was going on and what were we doing about it? I mean, it was enough to say, yeah, these bad things have happened, but then he he challenged all of us in our respective roles. What are you guys doing about it? Um, right. we've been, we, you know, again, having the support of the Ohio Association of Chiefs of Police, the Buckeye State Sheriff's Association, the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association, um, the State Fire Marshal, having these folks that have come up at a time when, like, like Chris said, the generation that trained them, they realized that wasn't the best way to do things. I kid you not. When I first joined uh, at the age of 18, I was told by a sergeant we'd had a bad day. And he says, if it was a bad day, go home and have a drink. If it was yeah. a really bad day, right. go home and have another one. Now, he wasn't trying to, to give me bad advice. That's what he was told by the people when he came on. Right. And, and you know, we've, we've learned that that is some, that is some things that we, we, we can't do. So, you know, I, I think I was fortunate. I, I think in a lot of ways, Sean, I was in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. I was at the training academy, uh, which kind of had, had increased my profile. I was I was a motorcycle officer before I came to the training academy. I had a lieutenant colonel who knew about my past and peer support and the work mm -hmm. I had done. So when it came around to to start this new program to bring these post critical incident seminars to Ohio, I had that support in the superintendent's office to say. Uh, we'd like Steve to be part of this. I was very fortunate at that. And I, I thanked both of those men numerous times for giving me this opportunity. And that just kind of started me on, on that path. I was able to connect with Ohio Mental Health and Addiction Services through my work with the patrol. And then when they were looking to, to do what they could to support first responders, I was approaching when I thought I was going to retire anyway, um, you know, from when I started my career. And I was kind of coming up on, on 2018 when I had always anticipated uh, having to retire due to retirement age. And they offered me this position and it was just a great opportunity um, to do the, to do the work. I rolled around this summer and I just happened to be having a conversation with director Carlton Moore from the office of criminal justice services about the wellness program they were hoping to stand up. And he says, do you know anybody that would be interested in, in coming over and helping guide this? And of course I said, absolutely, sir. I'd love to. Yeah, and, uh, they right. made it happen. I still get to work uh, with my old agency. I still work with the folks at Ohio Mental Health. It's still a great partnership. There was never any animosity. There was never any, you know, any any problems with that. Um, in fact, they joke that they still get access to me, but now the Department of Public Safety has to pay me. Um, <laughs> so that, that worked out pretty right, good. Right. Um, why Ohio? 
I don't know, guys. I really don't. I know that when we do our post-critical incident seminars, we have one of the greatest or highest percentages of spouses that come, both male and female, uh, that come to our program as opposed to, you know, as some of the other states. And they've asked us, how do you get so many support persons? And we, we don't know. We just, we've well, had I mean, you guys have always been seen because, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you know troopers, but I, I had a chance to go to, to some trainings with Sean Smart. Yo, um, yeah, I, I used to work. I, I was on the drug team with Sean. Okay. So Wait, now, now who's tell it, not this Sean, the other, who's this other Sean you're speaking? No, of? no, not Sean. So Sean's a trooper that I did a lot of interdiction training with. From um, Ohio? From Ohio? Ohio. And they always oh, seem, yeah. yeah, from Ohio. Yeah. Um, and it always seemed that you guys were, were, were progressive in, you know, just, just, just police work itself. And then, you know, Sean got a hold of Shandy and then you, and it just seems like, it just seems like you guys are, you know, you hear departments say, Hey, I'm on the cutting edge, we're on the cutting edge. It looks like you guys are. And I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, like, it's just, why haven't people other, other places embraced this? Well, and, and like for the post-critical incident seminars, we actually joined uh, those started in South Carolina back in 2000. Uh, and then we just finally got around to, you know, seeing what the program was and bringing it to Ohio in 2016. Um, and then we've just kind of been able to run with it. Uh, some, some states are doing, you know, that both Carolinas are doing some great work. Georgia, Texas, Kentucky are some of the states that, that I've been to. Um, as far as programs like mine, one of the things I was telling Sean earlier that we're excited about here in Ohio is a lot of our agencies are creating wellness bureaus, wellness offices, wellness yeah, that's, divisions. That's unheard of. Like, I mean, yeah. that's like, that is unheard of. It's like that's in the military. That's all civilians. You know what I mean? You're actually taking cops and making it seem yeah. like, hey, this is a career track now. Like get in here. Learn what is job. that? Is that for the is that for the state or for like each individual department? These are for individual departments. So like the Dayton, Ohio Police Department has designated one of their officers to be lead their wellness efforts, to do the uh -huh. research, make the connections. Dayton Fire Department just did the same thing. So those two guys are able to work together in Montgomery County with Montgomery County Mental Health Resources, pool their resources. I, you know, I kind of chime in as I can. And now we're, we're able to share that. Cleveland has, um, has a, a whole program where they have an on-staff psychologist who is kind of been helping them with their employee assistance up there. And they have folks designated to that. Uh, the Dublin, Ohio Police Department, just northwest of Columbus, Ohio, has a lieutenant who's been assigned. Columbus, Ohio Police Department has a commander designated. Now, in their department, it goes commander, assistant, or deputy chief, assistant chief, and chief. So this is a pretty high up-level position mm -hmm. within the Columbus right. Police Department. And Commander Hughes is, is the wellness commander for that division. And so we're starting to see that really pop up around the state. Um, and, and, and my job is to just be like an air traffic controller, connect those folks to each other around the state and then make that transition between them right. and the mental health world that I was able to spend, you know, two and a half years living in and, and get me some real insight. Um, both gave them insight to what we do and, and gave us insight into what they're looking to do. You know, and, do you have only... enough? Do you do you have enough data that shows that it's it's improving? We're working on that. And, and we're, okay. we're, we're, we're working, probably going to be working with the Ohio State University and some other entities to see uh, where we are. And uh, as we move forward, what the benefits of that are. Um, a couple of years ago, Ohio State University with the Ohio Fire Coalition put together a, a survey 
we did a very similar survey for police and dispatch um, in 2019 uh, and are looking to do that again to just kind of compare those numbers from then to where we are now as we're starting to expand these wellness programs around the state. And I can imagine okay. that when that when that data comes through, people will probably do what they always do with data. And we love to talk. I love to talk about data. At least Chris probably thinks I'm nuts for saying that. But um, <laughs> I love talking about data because data can be manipulated. When this starts th- happening, think about it. Like, hey, we're going to actually encourage people to come forward and say they're struggling with things. People could take that and say, hey, and this is where you have to have the guts and have to have directors at this level and have to have governors that are true leaders in this. Because, again, to my point this could say, man, there's a pretty high percentage of officers that are struggling with things. What <laughs> right. could help the profession and the, the things that we see, because the military went through that, like, Hey, everybody, there's a lot of people that are struggling and a lot of suicides, like every 22 minutes, uh, a veteran commits suicide, things like that. You know, well, if you were to take those numbers, those numbers will be out there now to say, Hey, here's how many times it impacts the first responder. But you could have people saying, Hey, well, you know, there's a lot of them out there that are kind of, you know, the people that I know that will go, they're crazy. Look at them. These guys are running around in the street or whatever, but it'll show you, I think in the long run that the true measure of that success I'm imagining Steve will be for you guys is like, although we had this many more people come forward and say they were struggling, we had this view people actually take their own lives in the process of that, like oh, yeah. or, or do terrible things to citizens because they can't, they're not equipped to deal with their own pain. I absolutely right. believe we're going to see a decrease in use of force. I think we're going to see a decrease in citizen complaints. Um, I'm working with the Ohio Peace Officers Training uh, Academy right now on lesson plans for de-escalation, how to safely de-escalate situations. You know, mm-hmm. when, when the three of us started, the rule was when I roll up on the scene, I'm in charge. Everybody starts doing exactly what I say. Right. Well, right. We're starting to rethink that a little bit. So if the two of them are just stand there yelling at each other, they're not hurting anybody. Right. Let them yell. Right. See what's right. going on. Because if I start yelling, now we've just got three people standing in the middle of the street yelling. Right. So right. how about I wait a second, see what's going on, see who maybe is the aggressor here, who do I need to focus my attention on, and then get a better idea of what I'm dealing with, as opposed to me just getting out and start yelling because I'm the guy in the marked car in the uniform. So we're right. trying to change the mindset. Sean, to your point, I think as this moves forward, we're going to be able to say, yes, we've got people struggling, but they always were struggling. The difference is now they're stepping up and we're getting them the help. Mm-hmm. It was always there. Don't mm-hmm. act like it wasn't there. Right. 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 I now, how are, how, how are they, how are you guys um, or how is your team or these teams working with the people? I don't want to say naysayers, but people who really have that inner voice going, if I say something to somebody in my department, I'm afraid it's going to get upstairs, no matter how, no, no matter what it is, whether it's a drinking sure. problem or a suicidal thought or, hey, I just had a bad day. I saw a baby put in a microwave and I just need to talk to somebody about it. Right. And, you know, uh, Chris, what I think what we have a real advantage of right now is 363 individuals have gone through the post-critical incident seminar here in Ohio. Number 15 is coming up here. And we've got 30 folks coming here in January. We've also got a program, an amazing program here in Ohio called the First Responders Bridge who has a group of individuals who have been through their program. And these are some warriors. These are SWAT. These are narcotics officers. These are folks that are out, you know, doing the job and everything else. And because they had the courage to step forward, we shamelessly use those folks. Because when somebody calls and says, you know, 
yeah, I don't know if, if I can trust you guys. Well, hang on a second. Let me get a hold of these four guys that will call you and tell you that this is legit. You right. know, you don't have to believe me. I've got these people who I know you respect and who've done the job and, and earned that and let them tell you about it. And those people step right up and say, so we had a situation where um, our special response team and the highway patrol got involved in a shooting uh, with the marshal service at a hotel. Fortunately, no one was injured, but there was an exchange of gunfire. And I was sent up there to, to check on our team. I was with the patrol at the time. And I get out of my unmarked car and I'm in my suit and I'm, you know, walking through the parking lot and our, our SRT guys, our SWAT guys are walking over. And one of the guys laughed and says, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Dad's here. <laughs> and that told the team, Steve's okay. Steve's, right. Steve's right. one of us. So immediately I got credibility with that group of guys, even though I've never been on SWAT, I've never been a tactical officer, but because mm -hmm. one of those guys that had been through the program and, and trusted me, makes that comment, uh-oh, we're in trouble, dad's here. That let them all know, you know, we can trust this guy. So when the bosses right. called me and said, how are they doing? I said, they're fine. Right. Well, what right. do we need? Boss, they're fine. If they're not, they'll tell me they're fine. Right. And, they, and, they, and they let it go. The bosses right. were like, it's okay. You say they're good. We'll, we'll take your word for it. And, and it's just going to be a matter of time of continuing to build that trust and build that group of individuals who've been through the programs and seen the benefits in their relationships, seen their benefits in their physical health. Um, you know, I've been retired now three years and, and um, my goal is to be retired longer than I worked for the patrol. So I've got 34 years that I still want to be around. Right. Uh, <laughs> that, that, hey, hey Steve, based that, upon the show, we're not going to let you quit, pension. Steve. Sorry. We're not letting you quit, Steve. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. When they cut my retirement check monthly, they roll their eyes and go, oh, my God, he's still alive. And I'm like, yeah, send me my money. Uh, because I just I think that's important. You know, this whole idea of us dying five years after we retire is horrific. That's terrible. Right. Um, you know, we, we've given so much through the course of our career that I want folks to be able to retire and, and go do what they want to do, you know, whatever that next chapter of their life is. Um, you know, one of the things that I talk about with agencies across the state uh, that affects first responders is what I call the concept of bears and ducks. And the concept of bears and ducks goes like this. If you're taken out by a bear, it's loud, bloody, exciting, violent. In the law enforcement world, it could be use of deadly force, fire against an officer, something involving children, mass casualty, the loss of a friend and coworker. And, and we all respect the bears. If you're taken out by ducks, it's not loud, bloody, exciting, or particularly violent. It takes place over a very long period of time and results exactly the same. Right. We all take the bear serious. Now we're starting to take the duck serious because the ducks over five, 10, 25 years of doing this career, you know, we're starting to see it take an effect. You look at our military folks. Our military folks are not in combat for 25 or 30 years. Right, right. The, right. the time period they're in combat is horrific and it is intense and it is, is just overwhelming at times. But they're not on the front lines carrying a weapon every day with the potential of being involved in a gunfight for 25 years. And thirty years, right? It's right. like the acute right. and the chronic, the acute and the chronic. You know, Absolutely. Like, and both of those effects can be the same. But I, when I first came out of the military, I said, you know, 
I came from a place that I was more in fear of getting blown up, you know, running over landmines, things like that. The enemy was not as a formidable force as like it was in Vietnam, World War II, things like that. But there was the stress of all of the peripheral things that people don't understand about sure. combat that can get you killed. Well, I became a police officer and people were like, Hey, what was it like, man? It must've been hell. You're, you're a combat veteran, so to speak. And I'm air quoting that. And I was like, I don't know. I just think it's way more intense being a cop because it can come at you from any angle from people that you'd never expect it from. And in a society as diverse as America, and as much as people think that cops don't value diversity, we really do. Sure. But in the same sense, it also leads to like, I, everyone should be friendly to me as a police officer. Everyone should be okay with me because this is the United States. And then you would walk amongst these people, like you said earlier, Steve, that you'd see in a grocery store and say, that person reminds me of the woman that I know that just killed her own children. And right. we had to go there and respond to that. And there's like, there's right. no way to separate yourself from that as a cop. And, and again, uh, this is what we signed up for. I get it. Well, this is what we signed up for. The rest of the warrior culture in the military world has done a really great job of saying, this is a huge force protection issue that for the longest time, ribbons and medals and things like that could only help so far. Right. We don't even get that in the police world. And the police world, I was like, man, we are so far behind. And then to hear, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, to hear Ohio, which is just, we're separated by Indiana, which if you look at Indiana, it's a pretty skinny state. You can get through that state <laughs> relatively quickly. And their, and their tollway system yeah, really, is yeah. really helpful. And uh, you think, Illinois, this was just catching on when I left the job or left the job in Illinois. Two years ago, it was only catching on that they, like agencies as big as the ones that we served with were finally getting on board and going, hey, we need to develop these programs that assist with officers in dependency and things like that. One of the things you talked about, Steve, that I think our listeners would be fascinated to hear, like, like the idea of the critical incident debrief thing. Can you walk us through to novice listeners like the three of us know that inside and out because we've been through, you know, you know, after action reviews, even if it's just sure. to talk about what we did right and wrong. And then on critical incidents, you come in, you sit down and you talk to people. But like talk a person from A to Z how that process works and why in Ohio and even South Carolina, where I'm at right now, where you're saying some of it started. Why is that important and what does that help with? One of the things we know is that first responders want to talk to somebody dressed like them. So mm -hmm. if I'm a police officer, I want to talk to fellow police officers. If I'm a firefighter, I want to talk to firefighters. I'm an EMT, whatever. I want to talk to somebody that looks like me. I think I'm the only one that has ever felt this. I'm the only one that's not sleeping. I'm the only one that's yeah. drinking too much. I'm the only one that's cranky with my spouse. And then I sit down with a group of others and I'm hearing this person say that and that person say that. And it's like, how do they know? You know, I think that somehow they're, they're, they're seeing what's going on in my home and in my relationship and in my head. And then I realize. Maybe I'm not the only one. You know, one of the things that, that we talked about that I was, you know, from mental health is you have a normal reaction to an abnormal circumstance. Right. Well, I always joke here in Ohio that if you know any Ohio State troopers, you know, we can't leave anything alone. So I add you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal circumstance for you right now. So, Sean, I'll use you as an example, you know, former military, you, mm -hmm. you had your, your time overseas, you were deployed, you come back, you know. If, say, you and I were the same age, we work for the same department, I, I make sure they understand that you and I can go to a call and we will have two entirely different reactions to that call. Right. That's okay. Because I'm having my reaction and you're having your reaction. And we're both having the one that's normal for us right now. So having these, these opportunities to sit <clears> down, <throat> non judgmental, and it's completely different than a hot wash 
or different than an operational debrief. I don't care how many rounds were fired. I don't care who was on, you know, which corner or which side of the building. That's not right. what's important. What's important is how is that event or events affecting you and your family today? That's the only question I have. Somebody else decided if you were in the right position and did we use the right weaponry and, you know, did we use the right tactics? That's all been decided or discussed by somebody else. That's right. not what we do. How is that event or event affecting you today? And that's what's important. And, you know, I tell people, tell me your story. Tell me what happened and tell me your reaction. Give me 20 minutes in a computer and I'll find three other officers in two other states that will tell me almost exactly the same story. Right. Right. Yeah. Because right. we are, we, you know, and here's what's even cooler, guys. I'm putting firefighters and cops in the same room and they're looking at each other like, hey, I didn't realize you guys had that kind of reaction. Right. And, and they're realizing that they're, they're people and they're <laughs> having the similar reactions. And the biggest thing is they can get help. My gosh, that's one of the biggest things that we try to tell them. They're not broke. Even if you have post-traumatic stress or you've been diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder, that's not a disqualifier from being a law enforcement officer. We'll get right. you help. We'll find somebody that will be able to, and we're not going to load you up on meds and we're not going to turn you into a zombie right. or anything. We're going to put you with somebody that gets it, knows how to talk about it. And like a lot of other medical conditions, you can go, you can go right back to doing what you love doing. Right. Right. I mean, it's like, it's right. like, you know, it's, it's so funny at times we're such at odds with the sports world. Like the, the professional sporting world is like always kind of protesting what the police do and whatever. Particularly, we all know that with the NFL right now and the things that they're doing and saying. And again, I'm not saying it's universal. I don't think every player in the NFL feels that no, way. No, no. Uh, I think some of it's leadership, things like that, whatever. But the bottom line is, is like they rehab guys and get them back. And they figured out that, you know, TBIs were a big, big problem and it's changing sports. And the people that are complaining about it the most are the fans. They're like, why is it this way? The same thing applies to the police world. Sure. And Chris talked a little bit earlier, Steve, about the naysayers internally. Now we always focus a lot in law enforcement on the naysayers externally to us, like the media and people that don't know what they're talking about on Facebook and things like that. But one of the things that I always found aggravating when I, I got a peer support, even for the two years that I was doing it before I left was, we all say we want to do it, and then we're confronted with the reality of an officer stepping forward. And how does staffing, and we only have so much money to get this done, and getting somebody spun back up to fill that position and everything like that, how much does that, for our listeners to understand, how much does that impact the ability for this to be effective for us? Well, we're, we're much like uh, I'm sure a lot of other states, we are facing a, a serious staffing crisis in public yep. safety. Uh, and medical here in the state of Ohio. Uh, yep. We're losing nurses like it's our mission. We're losing law enforcement um, at, at an alarming rate. Firefighters are just getting out of the occupation. And mm -hmm. you know, the society needs to understand here in short order, we're going to be hurting for, for first responders. And you just can't, you know, you, you take Chris there. You just can't throw a guy in uniform and give him a canine. And I mean, that takes years of training right. and experience. And, um, you know, we're losing that mid-level. The old guys are staying because they're just trying to keep their head down until they can get their pension. Right. It's right. that middle that's that middle group that we're losing. And then the young kids are coming up going, I'm not going to be mandated 512s. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go, you know, drive a truck for Amazon or I'm going to go do something else. Right. So right. in short order, we're not going to have that staffing. So 
what we're starting to see is jurisdictions, at least in Ohio, which Ohio, I'm very fortunate. I live in a very first responder friendly state. Oh, we've got the folks that, that say the, the stuff that you know we, we ignore and everything else like that. But as a rule, Ohio supports its first responders and communities are stepping up going, we want those law enforcement officers. We want those firefighters. We want those medics. What do we need to do? And then that's my job to step in and say, okay, great. There's a lot of things you can do. Number one, we need to support these programs. We need to provide them those, those trainings. We need to encourage people like Sarah does. We need to encourage people to come into this line of work. I loved what I did. I loved being a state trooper. Yeah. I'm second generation. My dad was a trooper. My oh, cousin wow. was a trooper. I've got a lot of family who were police officers in the Springfield area. I loved what I did. But, you know, we've got to make it so that folks want to come into this profession and want to stay in this profession for an extended period of time to get the advantage of that training, get the advantage of that experience and, and make it something that, that people want to do again. Mm-hmm. You know, these people that all, you know, want to run around and say defund. OK, that's great. until the bad guys at your door and now all of a sudden right. you want a SWAT team there. Well, guess what? You know, you can't have it both ways. You right. either have the protection or you don't. And it's, it, it's well, go ahead. I was just going to say, you're starting to see that in some of those locations that were so adamant about dismantling their law enforcement agencies and, and, and doing all that other stuff. Well, now they're seeing what happens when you do that. And they don't like that. Yeah, well, this just past this week, this past week, the, the mayor of San Francisco, who completely railed against the police for right. years, is now saying she's profane. She's saying uh, it's no more of this bullshit. It was, what, what this was bullshit you were tolerating, and now it's like I, I, the 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 thing I worry about with that though is that it's just going to go back to the mission of policing as the public used to know it. And we may forget about these important aspects of that, Steve. That's what I think. Like what you're doing in Ohio needs to be budgeted for and needs to be staffed to needs to be like, Hey, if a guy gets hurt playing hockey, there's a guy we can call up from the minors while this guy's on IR and he knows he's going to go back down. Now I know we can't have that same system, but you got to be staffed properly for this, for training, for officers and things like that. And people don't want to do that. No, but I think even before that, you need you need leadership to go uh, defunding or no, that's not going to happen because that's right. going to what we need to do is we need to fund. And here's where we need to fund mental health, you know, training, uh, you know, uh, training, that that kind of stuff. You, Recruiting you don't, and I mean, retention, the, the, right? All those things. The, 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 the thing is that all, all these leaders go to these new buzzwords for whatever, and I'm not going to get off on a media tangent for or election or, or protecting themselves or whatever, but I just think you need leaders to stand up and go, listen, this is a issue or this is what's causing this problem. Whatever it is, training, uh, peer support, mental health, whatever it is, this is how we are going to fix it. And that's what I think Ohio has done. And I think a lot of Absolutely. other people now, Absolutely. but here's what's going to happen in San Francisco. Here's what's going to happen in San Francisco and the other guy in Minnesota that did the same thing. Now what's going to happen if they want that to be corrected, the, the amount, the amount of stuff that the police are going to have to do to get it back to the, where it was before is tremendously now proportionate that we are going to have to go out there and beat violence with violence. We are going to have to see more, which in turn is going to cause more mental health. They, right. they just don't, they, they don't understand the concept of what, what happens out here. And Ohio's so, out in front of it. He is. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's amazing to hear Steve talk about these things that he is. 
One of the exciting programs also I'm seeing in Ohio, and it started in Sydney, Ohio, which is on the western side of the state, over off Interstate 75 and a couple of other agencies, uh, including the Ohio State Highway Patrol are looking at. As a part of your annual physical or semi-annual physical or however often you come in and do your eye test and, and, and everything else, you're going to make a pass to a clinician's office. Now, huh. you could go in and talk about Ohio State losing to Michigan. You yeah. could go in and talk about you know, dinner last night, or you can go in and talk about what's going on in your life right now. And for the three of us, think about it. How many times have we ever been in a situation? I know Chris was kind of almost there tonight. How many times have we been in a situation where we had our weapon out? We were already mentally preparing to possibly need to use our weapon. And then we, you know, it was all over. We got back in our car and we drove away. Nothing. No, no, you know, no, not, not even six months from now, did somebody sit down and say, Hey, um, how did that affect you? And are you doing right. all right? Right. Right. Other cool thing about these mandatory seeing the visits is the chiefs are understanding. I can't mandate it for anybody else and I don't do it. So from the bosses on down, they're going in. And again, we don't know what they're talking about. I don't want to know what they're talking yeah. about. No, I don't either. nobody does. I got my own yeah. baggage. Exactly. They're making that pass through that clinician's office. And they could be talking about what really they need to talk about. They could just be stopping in to, you know, talk about cars. But it's important that they're taking the stigma away because everybody does it. Everybody's right. going to make right. it pass through the right. clinician's office. And well, it's and a I great, think, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Go ahead, Sean. No, go ahead. I, I think it's a great opportunity now for our profession to now not only be synonymous with mental health and the fact is that we have to respond to people in crisis. We are just the people that you talk to, like, this is trench mental health that we deal with our own, the, uh, the people that we're dealing with and serving and trying to protect, we're trying to protect others from because a system that's failed. And it, and I think from a civic sense, we stand a great opportunity as a profession from just listening to Steve talk tonight to say, this is our, really our mission, because this is what has so impacted, like why are school shootings still happening? Like the one up in Michigan, why are all, these are all mental health related issues that Everything that we do that we think we're doing in response to this is really not helping at all. And the police should be people that are not looked at like these guys that had no other choices in life. And this was the only profession they could think, hey, go talk to that guy. He'll tell you how to deal with that crisis. He'll tell right. you how to deal with that stress. We are right now coming off of COVID. If, if we're coming off of COVID, if that's the case, this isolation for human beings, because humans by nature want to commune. They do. Uh, and we've taken so much of that away that you see it affecting kids. You see it affecting adults. You see it affect like, hey, we just stopped doing this for 18 months. And now all of a sudden we got to do it again. And everybody's doing it wrong or not doing it to the standard that they did. And I think that our profession right now can really stand a chance to this, I think, in like, hey, we're, we're the tip of the spear with this stuff. We are literally, if you want to understand mental health, Study it like you were to become a social worker or a clinician, but then go out and be a police officer. And we need that is where you're going to have the best credibility. We need to take advantage of those resources in our communities. Yeah. You know, everybody's like, well, I can't go talk to the mental health people. You know, they're, they're not going to understand me. They're going to judge me. There are those. Absolutely. Right. The vast majority are not that. The vast majority, the great majority want to help people. So you wear a uniform. That's not a big deal. They want to help. You know, the three of us, none of us had any kind of training in this until much later in our careers. Yep. Right. So when we ran on these calls, we only had the tools that were on our belt. We need to start working with mental health so that when we know we're going on that call, 
You know, Chris had that call earlier where, you know, a woman was um, or they were thinking about a jumper. Well, you need somebody in there that knows how to talk to that person. Yep. We keep right. safe, but we need to take advantage of those mental health resources, not only for the community, but for our own people. Um, you guys remember we had the shooting in Dayton a couple of years ago in the entertainment area there in Dayton where the individual showed up and, and shot us some people. He actually ended up killing his own sister and officers were able to engage and, and, and stop him and stuff like that. Within two hours, two hours, mental health was on the scene. Mm. And because they had worked together and they had an understanding, mental health looked at the officers. The officers looked at mental health. Not a word was exchanged. They knew they were there. They each know what their responsibilities were. The officers knew that they could walk by a little bit later and say, hey, when you got a second, I'd like to talk. No problem. Mental health knew they're busy. Let them do their jobs right now. Because of that, that Dayton community was, especially that Dayton Police Department, was able to come back from that incident in a better way because they'd, used, they'd taken advantage of the resources within their community. And, and I think that that's one of the things that we need to, to you know, share resources. Chris, I think you brought it up. You know, where do we get the where do we get the resources? Well, we got to start sharing. I mean, it, it's got to mm-hmm. be, you know, we're right. all in the same sandbox. So why is it only my to- my toys? You know, I need to share with the fire department. I need to share with EMS. And we can't forever forget dispatch. You know, dispatch always right. gets forgotten when these things right. happen. And we, we can't forget our dispatchers and everything. And, and you know, we got to share those resources. Maybe I'm flush right now and I can come help your department. Six months from now, a year from now, maybe something happens bad in my department. And now I need Chris's folks to come over and help. And we, you know, I cover your shifts. I I work a couple of shifts for you so your folks can go to the funeral. Uh, You know, we cover your dispatch. All of the things that we need to do to start working together, that's how we do this. We just start sharing resources and we need to keep hitting the folks that control the checkbooks and say, look, this is as valuable as the cars, the helicopters, the bears, all the other stuff. In fact, Lenko's always making bears. Dodge is always making patrol cars. Right. people to do this. That's the most valuable resource any agency has is the people. I can take Chris out of his marked unit right now and we can replace that within a couple of days. I can't replace Chris. I, I mean, I can't replace that experience. I can't replace that knowledge. I can't replace that heart for his job. I, I can't. The toys yeah. are easily replaced. It's the right. people replaced. Right, right, right. I, the best general that I, I ever wear, well, he's a, but he was he ended up being a general, but he was our, our regimental commander. He said, what everybody forgets about is that we all here exist for the kid toting that rifle, the 17 and 18 year old kid. And when I came, when I came into the police world, it was the inversion of that. If you were the kid, the guy that was toting the gun and going through the door to talk to people about, Hey, you don't want to beat your wife. Hey, you don't want to abuse your kids. Hey, you don't want to rob a liquor store. You were the, that was, you were the pathetic one. You were the one that was like, Hey, you had nothing else to do. So you stayed and did that for your career. And I was like, man, this is on its head. And eventually this is going to catch up to us because we dedicate all this time to resources and investigations. And that all is very, very important. Do not get me wrong. But the bottom line is our foot soldiers, our patrol officers, the stuff that they don't have the time they show up alone, they leave alone. We've done it. I, I think really as a profession, we're only now getting into the realm of understanding that. And if, and if I had only had that same general here to tell people that um, we'd better understand that. I mean, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're fighting a losing battle. It seems like a lot of times it's get, I feel, I don't know you guys both, you've been around a long time. 
Steph, I'm not saying it to be smart, Steve, but I mean, you have, no, I, 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 no. <laughs> I, I have a feeling what I'm seeing and feeling in the media is that this, this ship is turning and it's turning back towards people want safety, want security, want yeah. that stuff all back. But I don't think with what they opened up with our profession was, Hey, well then you need to make sure you, you're not, you, you never balk at where your taxes go for your military. You cheer for those guys when they fly over at football games. You're always there for them, loving them at parades, the veterans and everything else. But you got to start thinking about cops in the same light. And you got to yep. start thinking about them in the same way. You got to pay for 100%. the best resources for these people to do the work because there will be a day that some people want when we're not there. But the vast majority of Americans, I'll tell you this, don't. I, I really don't no. think they do. But I don't think they know what it's going to take to make that happen. You know what I'm saying? Well, and, and Sean, I like the fact that you kept using the P word profession. Right. I mean, it, it is a profession and we have to be professionals. We, right. we can do better. We, we know we can do better yep. Yep. Um, in taking care of our own folks and, and, and stuff like that. I think we're starting to, um, you know, I think for the three of us, we've seen a, a light night and day difference from when we all three started our careers mm-hmm. where we are. in. This oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Our own personnel, even even uh, opportunities like this podcast for for three guys just to kind of sit around and, and kind of kick it around and stuff like that. Right. We didn't have this, you know, 10 years ago where we could right. have been, had this conversation. And I, I think that we just need to keep the momentum going because right. it's going in the right direction. We just mm-hmm. we just need to keep it going and reminding the public that we do an invaluable service and mm-hmm. don't really want a world without us. Exactly. Now, Steve, just to kind of wrap it up, if you could be in charge higher than the director level right now, (laughs) I'd say, um, what would you tell the rest of the nation in law enforcement that they need to do to kind of maybe get this to be every state has your job? What would you say? I, I would say, remember that your people are your most valuable resource. And there is nothing more important than, like you say, that young man making that or that young woman making that traffic stop at three o'clock in the morning at the corner of walk and don't walk that we got to remember that's our priority, making sure that we're making, we're putting out the very best, safest, most educated, sharp officer that we can, because we're asking them to deal with a lot of things. And then when they do, we need to take care of them just as fast as we replace that torn pair of trousers or that damn damaged patrol car. We've got to be just as quick to try to, to help and make sure that we're doing that same maintenance uh, ongoing for our officers. And we've got to do what we can to, to help and, and take care of our folks. Yeah, some reality from the road from Chris right there in the middle of yep. that. Did you hear that? Right, 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 right. There's an emergency alert that you've right. got to go deal with. So, right. um, Chris, you want to take the outro from the road then? I will. Thank you, uh, Steve. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. Awesome show. I really appreciate this it. Is, oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having us. It's uh, this is su- such an, yep, absolutely. This is such an important topic. Um, everybody, thank you for listening and please go to where you get your podcast and download and leave a rating and review. That would be great. Um, we're trying to get this out to everybody for, to get people educated, the bridge just gap between the police and the community. And if you have any questions or concerns, uh, ideas for shows, please go to three cops, talk.com uh, or three cops, talk at gmail.com. That's a number three cops, talk at gmail.com. And thank you everybody for listening and everybody be safe. Be safe folks.